Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. We are in the Advent season now, and we have a great saint to celebrate, Saint John of the Cross. His solemnity or feast day is on December the 14th. He's called Dr. Mysticus or Doctor of Love. He wrote a great deal about night and darkness, mystery and intimacy, and all alluding to God's love, the living flame of love. I know as I sit and I light the candles on the Advent wreath, I often think of St. John of the Cross and the light coming brighter in the midst of the mystery of the darkness and the intimacy with God. Today, my guest is a Discalced Carmelite from the Dayton, Ohio community, Deacon Rusty Baldwin. And he will talk to us today about St. John of the Cross. He'll help us to ponder these questions. What exactly is a mystic? What are we called to do? What is the dark night? And more importantly, what it is not? What is true happiness and joy? And why does St. John of the Cross use the term, the dark night? And where did he learn about this intimate love? What did St. John of the Cross ask to be recited to him as he lay dying? And what is this living flame of love? I hope you'll enjoy this presentation by Deacon Rusty Baldwin. In honor of the solemnity of St. John of the Cross, I thought I'd briefly talk about our Holy Father, St. John, as a mystic. Now, for most people, the word mystic conjures up images of deep spirituality, mystery, inaccessibility, and a certain level of apprehension. And I would say, rightly so, except for the inaccessibility and apprehension part. Mystics and mysticism is of necessity steeped in mystery and spirituality, but this shouldn't make us nervous or cause us to assume such things are not for us. Think about it this way. Every Carmelite, every Christian, every Catholic is called to an ever deeper relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as our relationship with the Holy Trinity deepens and matures, we necessarily become mystics, do we not? For an inevitable consequence of that deeper relationship is an entering deeper and deeper into the unknown. That is, an entering into the mystery of God himself. So all of us are mystics in training, as it were. Though all of St. John of the Cross's works are profound and worthy of study, St. John is probably most well-known for his poetry. To this day, he is considered the greatest Spanish poet that ever lived. Probably his most well-known book is an exposition of a poem by the same name, The Dark Night of the Soul. Now, The Dark Night of the Soul is not only a book, it has also become a bit of a catchphrase that's used whenever times get tough. But let's go over a few specific examples of what the dark night is not. The dark night is not, contrary to common but erroneous understandings, 
the various difficulties we all experience. It's not tragedies, even heartbreaking tragedies that may occur in our lives. Undoubtedly, these are quite accurately described as dark periods or dark times, but they are not St. John of the Cross's dark night of the soul. And the fundamental reason we confuse the concept of the dark night with pain, sadness, and tragedy is because we equate happiness with pleasure. If I'm experiencing pleasure, I'm happy and joyful. Otherwise, I'm not happy and joyful. But true happiness and joy is not pleasure, whether bodily pleasure or some form of emotional contentment or satisfaction. True happiness and joy is doing God's will. Now, before you piously nod your head in agreement, you need to realize how radical this simple statement is. Here's something to help you consider this. In his deepest agony on the cross, in all the excruciating pain, humiliation, and ridicule he endured before his crucifixion, we find the finest example of a man in the depths of happiness and joy. Our Lord was not a masochist. There was no pleasure to be found in anything he experienced during his passion. He suffered all the cruelty, agony, and pain of the crucifixion. Nevertheless, he also experienced infinite depths of joy and happiness because he was fulfilling God's will. In his passion, he accomplished the purpose for which God sent him into the world. This radical shift in our understanding of what happiness and joy is, is the fruit of passing through the dark night of the soul. But it would be a mistake to think this new understanding is optional or only for some. And really, it's only radical in the sense that our typical understanding of what happiness and joy is has been so profoundly wrong for so long. The radicalness is not in the true source of happiness and joy. Happiness and joy has always and ever only been found in God, but rather the response it demands from us. That is where the radicalness is. It calls us to recognize that happiness and joy will be found only in God. Loving things, whether that be material things or status or power or anything else, are not just distractions. They prevent us from attaining the eternal happiness and joy we were created for. So now that we know what the dark night is not, what about what it is? The heart of John's dark night is that inner struggle we all experience when God invites us to love and we resist that invitation. The heart of John's dark night is when God invites us to love and we resist that invitation. Father Mark Foley puts it this way. This struggle, he writes, is at the heart of the dark night. As God's presence comes into our lives and invites us to let go of all that is contrary to God's will for us, we resist. 
We know that our ultimate happiness depends upon surrendering to God's will. Nevertheless, we resist and tenaciously cling on to our own. Father Foley provides a concrete example of this. Suppose you are greeting a co-worker and tell something's amiss. Instinctively, you feel God is prompting you to ask them if everything's okay, if they need to talk. But you really don't want to become involved in a time-consuming conversation, so you hesitate. That's an example of God inviting us to love and us resisting that invitation. Now, the dark night is called dark because when we accept God's invitation to love, he will change and perfect us in ways we will not understand, sometimes using difficult circumstances to do so, hence the former confusion. God will use this willing disposition to passively purify our soul, thereby perfecting us in love. And our Holy Father, St. John of the Cross lived his life as he counseled others to. He sought to empty himself of self in order to be filled with God, in order to be perfected in love. That was the aim and focus of all his writings and poetry. And only in this way can we experience the intimacy God desires to share with us, with each and every soul he created. And that intimacy, that includes the free and complete giving of all that we are to the Beloved and receiving the Beloved in return, is what he desires for us. An exchange of persons, a love that sacrifices all without counting the cost. And while this is pure speculation on my part, it seems to me that John would have encountered a love that resembled this kind of intimacy first and foremost in his parents, Gonzalo and Catalina. Gonzalo and Catalina chose love despite the cost, but despite the persecution and shame they encountered from their own family, despite the hardship and struggle that it meant for the rest of their lives. And while it's true John never got to know his father who died when he was about three, the story of his parents' courtship and deep love must have been well-known and repeated quite often in their home. And I can't help but think that our Holy Father's desire for intimacy with God was first enkindled by witnessing the depth of the love his own mother and father shared which is exactly what God himself intended for the family, is it not? Finally, I find it very telling that John asked that the Song of Songs be read to him as he lay dying, not only because it was a sign of the deepest desire of his heart, but also because it showed that the deep longing for intimacy with our Creator the desire for the flame of God's spousal love to consume our hearts is a perennial one, one that transcends all of history. Paradoxically, though, while the living flame of God's love cannot be resisted, he nevertheless waits for our consent before entering the depths of our soul. I'd like to close by reading a 
brief passage from a homily by St. Peter Chrysologus, bishop and also a doctor of the church. St. Peter Chrysologus was born in the year 408 AD, more than a thousand years before St. John of the Cross. Not being a poet or exposed to much poetry myself personally, what this passage said in brilliant prose about the flame of God's love gave me a greater appreciation and a much deeper insight into what our Holy Father so beautifully expresses in his incomparable poetry. St. Peter's Chrysologus wrote, the flame of God's love sets human hearts on fire and intoxicates human senses. Wounded by love, men long to see God with their bodily eyes. But how can our narrow human vision perceive one whom the whole world cannot contain? What will be, what ought to be, what can be, the law of love does not care about these things. Love does not have judgment, reason, or strategy. Love refuses to be consoled when its goal proves impossible, refuses to be cured if its goal is difficult to achieve. In fact, love destroys the lover if he cannot obtain what he loves. Love goes where it is led, not where it ought to go. Love gives birth to desire. It bursts into flame and that fire draws it to seek forbidden things. What more is there to say? Love cannot accept not seeing the thing that it loves. That is why the saints counted whatever they deserved as being nothing if it did not mean that they could see the Lord. The wisdom of our Holy Father that led him to consent to the living flame of love wounding his heart so completely. That wisdom has now been entrusted to us as discalced Carmelites. My prayer for us this Advent is that we may also be so wise as to allow our hearts to be wounded by that same love. And may we also be a witness, that is, a martyr to love, that others may be led to love God as he loves us.